Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. So many of you know, I gave my life to Jesus in a campus ministry in southern Indiana in 2003, and it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about us doing campus ministry, is because it's such a, a critical time in the life of a, of a human being, is when they're in college, and it's this chance to like establish a faith of your own. And so I gave my life to Jesus in this campus ministry, and uh, there was something I became aware of, and I don't know if, the, maybe Evan and, and, um, and Mike could speak to this, but I don't know if this is still a common thing, but there was this thing that was so common when I was in the campus ministry. It was common enough that my campus minister, Mark, he spoke about it on a fairly regular basis. And the thing is this, there was this practice that would happen among the college students, which they would use God said as their sort of trump card for things, right? So two people are dating, girl doesn't want to date guy anymore. She goes to him and instead of saying, I don't want to date you anymore, she says, God told me to break up with you. Does this still happen? Okay, cool. So she would say, God, God told me to break up with you. And what can a guy say? I mean, these two people in campus ministry are dating, and now God just told you to break up with, am I, am I supposed to go against God? Of course not, so I guess we're done. The inverse would also be true. So a guy would like a girl in the campus ministry, and he would go up and he'd say, I feel like God told me that we're supposed to date. How would you like that proposition? Like, you would have to go against God to say no. And so Mark would speak against this on a somewhat regular basis about this idea of like, saying what God said in order to, like, do the things you actually, uh, you just wanted to do. And, 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 and so it, it seems like a, a fairly ridiculous thing to do, right? And I think if we're older, we've probably heard this a lot of times, we've probably seen this before, and you're sort of like, that just feels very immature and very crazy, right? Except for, as I followed Jesus into my adult years, what I have figured out is adults do this nonsense too, have you seen it? It got quiet. You all do this, don't you? I, I, I'll tell you, I'll give you a really good example, and, and you just walk with me, okay? I'm not making any political statements about this. I just want you to pay attention to something. I have been a closet charismatic for almost 20 years. I have been an out charismatic for about 15 years, okay? In that time frame, I have seen and heard a lot of prophetic stuff happen, right? People sharing what they believe God has said. I have never heard so much prophetic stuff happen or purported prophetic stuff as happened in the 2020 election cycle. For the whole year, so many prophets of God came, stood up and said, this is what's going to happen. Both sides. I heard both sides. Thus saith the Lord, Joe Biden is going to win. Thus saith the Lord, Donald Trump is going to win. Thus saith the Lord, the United States is going to end before that, right? All these people standing up and saying, this is what God has said. And here's the problem. How are we as followers of Jesus to make sense of that? Because only one of those people can win. And yet they're both saying, God said. Adults do this, right? Have you seen this? We just 
we just act like we can just speak for God, and, and people will say contradictory things on behalf of God, and it almost seems like people can just sort of rubber stamp whatever they want by saying, well, it must have been God said it. Have you seen this? Has people said this to you? The things that are contrary to what you already know to be true, and it's, they said, well, God said it, so it must be so. And the simplest way, of course, to deal with this problem, right, is to just decide God doesn't say anything anymore, right? Isn't that the simplest way? Is just decide anybody who says God said this, they must be wrong, God doesn't do that business anymore. But that's not a biblically responsible way to handle it. So what is the biblical response? How are we supposed to decide what is actually the Holy Spirit speaking and what is somebody's leftover pizza speaking? Or worse, how are we supposed to decide that this is actually an, a demonic spirit speaking? How do we decide these things? How is it that two people who claim to follow Jesus can say contradictory things and both of them claim that it's God told them to say it? We've been in this series through uh, the book of 1 John all summer, and I've told you that John is writing to this group of house churches, and this group of house churches has undergone a split. There were these false teachers who, under a divine revelation, they said that the Spirit of God told them that they actually didn't have to have relationship with Jesus in order to have relationship with God. And so they left, and they took people with them, and they were trying to recruit people from these house churches to go with them. And so because of this, the, the church, John is trying to teach the church how you discern, how do you tell when it's actually the Holy Spirit and when it's something else? How do you tell? And I think that's close to a lot of things that we want to understand, right? How do we know that this is the Holy Spirit doing this? And how we know it's not something else? And so we're going to look at this in, in the next section of 1 John, and I'm calling this message... Whose voice is this? Whose voice is this? So would you pray with me before we read uh, 1 John chapter 4? The Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge your presence in this room. And God, I ask that you would come in greater measure. Lord, we desire to hear your voice. So would you come, Lord? Would you speak through me? And God, I pray that the words that I speak would be the words of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you fill this room? Open our ears to hear your voice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and you can turn there in your Bible. And what you'll notice today, if you were here three weeks ago, the last time I preached, it's going to seem very similar. It's almost like John is repeating himself. You're like, wait a minute, didn't we just talk about not getting tricked like three weeks ago? Yeah, we did. And John has come back around and he's saying something else, but he's not exactly saying the same thing. Three weeks ago, I talked about how John was really concerned that the remaining churches would not be tricked by people who claimed to be from God, but who were false teachers. And with that section of Scripture... John starts this sort of like, here's how you can tell. And so if you read from the end of chapter 2 until beginning of chapter 4 where we are now, you'll see this phrase over and over and over. The phrase is, this is how we know. 
He says it over and over and over and over. A little bit it's a rebuttal to what the false teachers had been saying, which is, we have secret knowledge. John keeps saying, no, this is how we know. This is how we know someone is from God. And so in uh, chapter 2, verse 26, John starts the section by saying this, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. That's where this section starts. And then all the way through from there to where we are now, he's giving them different measurements. How can you know someone is from God and not somebody false? How can you know this is good teaching? And so all through chapter 3, he says, this is how we know. Verse 10 in chapter 3, John says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. He says, you can know who is from God and who is from the devil by their conduct. You can't stand up and talk about uh, what God says whenever you're working against God. That the, the conduct of one who is from God ought to be in concert, right? Like, you can't fight against the kingdom and yet claim to be on behalf of the kingdom. Does that make sense? But then he goes on further and he says, it's not just that. He says, you also have to love your fellow brothers and sisters. We can tell who is from God because they love fellow believers. As Betty talked about last week, that they love fellow believers not by saying they love them and doing something else, but they love them by the things they do. Which is why it's not a Christian thing to say is, our love for you is undiminished, and yet we're leaving you anyway. It's not a Christian statement. It's counter to Christ. And so then he says this right at the end of what Betty preached last week, 324, he says this, and this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now, at this point, the churches will go, hold up, John. What you're saying is the spirit says that we're people of God. But you know, these other guys said the spirit says you don't have to have a relationship with Jesus. Which is true. John, you're, you're fighting against this, this other teaching that says you don't have to re have a relationship with Jesus. And the, the, the criteria that you're using is what the Spirit said, but they said the same thing. Can people just say whatever they want? Can you see the frustration that this would cause? And so John turns and he says, hold on a minute. Let me answer that question for you. Chapter 4 begins like this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You know, there's something you have to understand here to understand what John is saying. Because I don't know if you've ever, like, when you read this, you go, wait a minute, I don't know if I've had a spirit speak to me. That's weird. How do I do that? John's assumption is that people are animated by spirits. John's assumption is that if you teach about God, if you prophesy or speak on behalf of God, that it's not just you, that there's a spiritual component, that some spirit is speaking through you. That's the assumption John makes. So when he says, test the spirits, what he's saying is, test the spirits that are animating these teachers. When I stand up here and I talk to you today about God, the Holy Spirit, we hope, right, is speaking through me to speak on behalf of God. And that's the, that's the essence of what John is saying. And so the work that John is calling the churches to is not to decide whether they like the teaching or not. It's not saying, well, make sure that the teaching tickles your ears. Make sure the teaching makes you feel good before you leave. Make sure the teaching is like really sound, solid exegesis and we've, they've done their homework on the Greek Right? That's not what the, the, the task John gives to the churches. The task John gives to the churches is discern the Spirit behind it. That's the task. Before we take on board any teaching, we discern the Spirit behind it. And most of us are like, wait a minute, we do what? That's not how we do things in the American church right now. Do you know that? We don't do that. What we do is, if anything, we skip the step. But otherwise, what we do is we go, well, I didn't really like what they had to say. Right? Seems like you're working for people I don't like. Right? Seems like you're a little too political. Seems like you're a little too this, a little too that. I don't like what you're saying. We don't do the work of discerning the spirit behind it. And this is a critical step. You can't miss this step. It's a critical step. But we overlook it in our culture, and part of that is because of how we consume teaching. Do you know the best way to do teaching is sitting around a table? My, the best teaching, biblically speaking, that we ever do in this church is sitting in a circle with a group of people and collectively dialoguing about the things of the kingdom. Do you know that? That's the best teaching. Because here's what happens is, I will say something, and somebody else will go, I don't know if that's true. And so they'll ask me. And then somebody else will go, no, here's the actual way that works. You're thinking of this. And the dialogue happens in a community, but you're able to dialogue. That's the best teaching. What we're doing right here is a step back from that. Do you know that? What we're doing this morning, it's a step back from that. It's not bad. If you don't like or have a question about something I say, I'm going to be here afterwards, and you can come tap me on the shoulder and go, hey, I didn't understand that, or I don't know that that's true, right? We can have a conversation. This is a little bit of a step backwards, and every step that we take away from an environment like this it becomes worse and worse. Here's why. 
Because it's in relationship that you do discernment. It's in relationship. So how do we consume teaching nowadays? Podcast? How many of you have listened to podcasts of preachers that you've never met? How many of you have watched one-line snippets on social media from preachers you've never met? This is the way we do teaching nowadays, isn't it? We just cut a one-minute section out of a message, we post it on Facebook, and you watch it. You know, we, get, we put a little graphic at the beginning and some music underneath it. It makes you really happy. And it's the best part of the message. And you go, wow, that was really, really good. And this is how we do teaching. Do you know that? Our culture does teaching about God in one-line snippets on social media. And here's the problem. Not only is there no relationship, there's no context for that one-line snippet. There's no way to actually discern the spirit behind what's being taught to you. And yet we just grab it. We're like, wow, that was profound what you said there in that one line, right? You put it, you just, you know, it's real easy, right? Let me tell you how it works. You take a picture of me like this, and then in the graphic, you put like a black space next to me, and you just put the words in big block letters. Derek is a very smart preacher. And people are like, he is. I saw it on social media. It must be true. He says Jesus is cool. Right? This is how we do teaching. Do you see that that's not helpful for discerning? Have you ever stopped to think about the context or the spirit behind the, the words that you read and that you watch on social media? Probably not. And the problem with that is we've removed ourselves from the relationship which is the context for discerning the spirit behind it. And that's the primary way we consume teaching. But John says discernment is critical. What we do mostly is we just skip the step. We go, well, it doesn't really matter. It's on social media. It must be true. And we just sort of like go on and we end up with this hodgepodge of crazy ideas. And John says, test the spirits to see which ones are from God. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are like, it's really hard to understand what the Bible says. And when they start talking to me about their theology, it's this conglomeration of like Dr. Phil, Richard Rohr, Stephen Furtick, Joel Osteen, and you go, I don't even know how to unpack this. You got the Buddha in there. <laughs> the Buddha doesn't even believe in God. I don't know what you do with this. Because we don't discern the spirit behind what has been taught, we end up with this wacky idea of what God is saying, and we can't make sense of it. What you end up with if you don't do discernment is you end up with a spirit of confusion. It's no wonder our culture is confused. Discernment is not optional. It's critical. And it's a step that we've just sort of discarded. Perhaps some of us didn't even know it was something we were supposed to do. And if that's the case, for many of us, we wouldn't even know where to start. Any of you know where to start? Probably there's some of us, but there's a lot of us that are probably like, I don't know. I probably would make it up as I go along. You know, he's got a nice beard. I'm working on that, by the way. 
you know, so we'll just trust him because that beard is, is, is getting good. But John gives us some criteria. See, John doesn't want us to be tricked by a spirit that's not from God, so he gives us criteria. Look at verse 2 again. It says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. The first test for which spirit is speaking is, what is their testimony of Jesus? That's the first thing that we have to figure out is what is the testimony of the spirit that we're listening to of their, what is their testimony of Jesus? I told you three weeks ago that the job of the Holy Spirit is to testify to Jesus. So you can know when the Holy Spirit is speaking, the testimony uplifts Jesus as he is. What is the testimony? John is specifically addressing these false teachers that left the church. And so the teaching they were purporting was that the Holy Spirit had revealed to them that Jesus himself was not fully God and fully man because it would be unthinkable that God would suffer. It comes from this trying to understand suffering. And so it can't be that God would suffer. It must be that Jesus is not God and we believe the Spirit has told us that. You ever have your, spirit, like, your, your crazy thoughts and you just go, well, that must be the Spirit, right? These crazy ideas. And John is, is, just, is instructing the church to discern what Spirit is speaking. He says, does the Spirit testify that Jesus has come in the flesh? Does the Spirit that you're listening to testify that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? If you were to ask a teacher or a prophet that directly, do you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And they answer no, you can know it's not the Holy Spirit speaking. And you're like, wait a minute, is it that easy? Is that really all I have to do is just go up to the teacher and be like, do you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Maybe. Do you know that's a common thought in our time? It's a common thought that people that Jesus, this story about Jesus is just a fable that was made up. Do you know that? There are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to be teaching in Christian churches, who would say that the stuff about Jesus was just a fable to teach us some life principles. Do you know that? That there are actually people who believe that and would say it. Of course, most of the time it's going to be a little bit more work for us to discern this. And so John gives us this statement that it's theologically dense. Anybody like doing theology? You like doing theology? Some people? Some people are like, no, I, don't, I hate that. I hate the theology thing. Let's do a little theological work, okay? Put your thinking caps on. Okay, here we go. John is saying a whole bunch of things at once in this statement. When he says, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh... The first big thing he's saying is that this guy, Jesus, from Nazareth and this messianic figure, Christ, they're not two separate things. They're the same person. What he's saying is Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. It's not 50-50, 60-40, 80-20, 100-100. 
He's saying Jesus is and has always been fully God and fully man. That when he was incarnate, when he became a man, he was fully God and fully man. And he remains so forevermore. That when he ascended into heaven, he didn't give up the body. He went with a body. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Then the second thing Jesus, that he says about Jesus is that Jesus came, uh, sorry, is it's essential to Christian faith that Jesus Christ actually came in real human flesh. Here's the implications. I wrote a whole bunch of implications. I like making lists. Here's, I wrote a whole page worth of implications that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Here's a few of them. Jesus actually showed us what God was like. You know how significant that is? How many people do you know are like, I wish God would just tell me? He did. He actually did. Jesus was a legitimate substitute to die for our sin. Do you know if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, his death is almost meaningless? It might be a little sad, but it doesn't matter. Jesus gave us a real model for how to be human. He actually shows us what real human life looks like. Jesus was actually crucified. Jesus actually did die. Jesus validates bodily experience. Do you know that Jesus validates your human existence? It's not something to be escaped from, but it's actually something that God validates. Jesus understands temptation. Jesus validates, this is important, Jesus validates suffering. We don't like that one, do we? I kind of wish Jesus would say, ah, that one's not, that's not for us. He doesn't do that. He validates suffering. You know what else it means that Jesus came in the flesh? And he's fully God and fully man? Is that God really hates sin. He hates it so much that he would come and die to deal with it. It means we are powerless to free ourselves from sin. Powerless. Here's why I want you to see these things. Denial of Jesus is not so explicit most of the time where people would say, Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, I don't believe that. Usually what happens is people say, oh, no, 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 I believe Jesus came in the flesh, but I also don't believe we're supposed to suffer. It's not so explicit. They deny the implications of Jesus coming in the flesh rather than saying it outright. Jesus said this. Let me give you this example. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he tells those who follow him, it says, take up your cross and follow me. Which came with the expectation that following Jesus would come with suffering and would cost you your life. It's not like a metaphor, like, oh, you will sort of lose your life, like, you know, you'll, you'll give up your preferences. That's true. But when Jesus said, take up your cross, he's like, you're going to suffer and probably die for this. And then Jesus suffered and died. So to follow Jesus has to mean that suffering and persecution will come, and Jesus validates suffering, right? So far, so good? Have we done good theology so far? 
And yet I run into people who will say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but will deny that truth by saying followers of Jesus are not to suffer. That it's not for Christians to suffer. And if you suffer, something's wrong with you. They have come through this church. Some of you know them, some of you don't. There have been people who come through that. Who say suffering is not for Christians. And what I can tell you is when you say that, what what is speaking is certainly not the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said we will suffer. And then he did it. Another example. Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died on our behalf because we were all powerless to free ourselves from sin that God hates so much, right? So far, so good. Good theology, right? Jesus died because we're sinful and we can't get out of it. Fair? And I have come across people who will say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but then they will deny that testimony by saying that God doesn't really hate sin that much. Yeah, 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 but it's okay if you're sinning this way. It's not hurting anyone. And we'll stand up and preach that as a Christian message. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking. Are you with me? Are you following? You see, the denial of Jesus coming in the flesh is not always so explicit. So The first test is discerning the Spirit at work uh, is the testimony about Jesus. The second one is to apply teachability to the church. Teachability to the church. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 6. John says, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. What he says is, you can tell they're not from God because they don't listen to us. Who's the us? It could be the apostles. Right? It could be that John is saying, you know, we were with Jesus. We, you know, me and Peter and the boys, we were all with Jesus. And so we know very well And to be from God means you listen to us who are with Jesus. And that would be an okay reading, wouldn't it? Don't you think that would be a satisfactory reading? It would be a a happy way to read that? It's like, yeah, I trust. You know, if I just read the New Testament, all those apostles were writing all the stuff. If I just listen to that, that's probably okay, right? As long as I follow that, that'll be okay. But that's not what John is getting at here. You're like, what is is he getting at here? The we... And the us that John is talking about is the church of Jesus Christ. It's everyone who upholds this belief that Jesus Christ actually did come in the flesh. And what he says is you can tell they're not from God because they don't respond when the church corrects them. Not me as the church. Us as the church. That we who hold to this belief that Jesus Christ came in the flesh are the people to whom any teacher, any prophet, should have to be held to an account. And so the question is, are they teachable? Do they respond when they're challenged? John doesn't just limit it to teachers or apostles or pastors or leaders. He says, all of you have the Spirit of God, and it's your job to correct them. We live at this time, right, where people are increasingly, like, resistant to the church, right? Kind of like, don't like it. We, you know, at best, we sort of a lot of times as a culture think it's unnecessary. Like, 
I would rather sleep in till 11.50, right? So we sort of think of it as unnecessary. And at worst, we think of the church as harmful, as a culture, right? Doesn't a lot of the people around you who don't know Jesus think what we do here is dangerous? Do you realize that? That a lot of the people who are not here think this is dangerous, even if they would say they're Christian. They would say, we are dangerous people. And for sure, we've earned that reputation a little bit, right? The church has hurt people. The church has sort of been co-opted by political ideologies, right? Don't we become a mouthpiece for the politics of one nation, although the kingdom of God is not in one nation, it's like all, right? We've been co-opted at times. And of course, we've, we've abused leadership and power. I mean, I think, I think of this, the, I've, I've said this a number of times, but if you've watched any of the stuff lately, there's a documentary on Hillsong. Anybody watch that documentary yet? Anybody listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast? Like, there's so much abuse and trauma that the church has put on people. So we've earned some of this, or maybe even a lot of it. But one of the big functions of the church of Jesus Christ over the 2,000 years of her history has been to resist the spread of heretical teaching and hold on to the foundations of the faith. That what we do here as a body of people actually holds fast to this message of Jesus that's 2,000 years old. I mean, think about it for a minute. What other message has had that kind of staying power? Do you know the me- we stand in a continuous line of people who worship Jesus, the, 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 the Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, who died and who's raised again, We stand in this unbroken line of people who worship this Jesus for 2,000 years. Nothing else has that kind of staying power, and that should shock you a little bit. Can you believe it? And yet, it happens, and the way that it happens is because of the body. Let me give you an illustration. I grew up in a house where my dad was very, very, very fanatical about the yard looking really, really nice. Anybody else have like a really nice looking yard? My dad was super, super, super like our yard had to be the nicest yard. We don't want any weeds, right? We don't want, we weren't allowed to run around and blow dandelions, right? You know, don't want any weeds in our yard. We don't want any dead spots in our yard. We want a healthy, lush, green yard. Do you know how you get a yard that has no weeds in it? It's not by running around and spraying all the weeds. Did you know that? The way you get a yard that has no weeds in it is you have a very, very thick uh, amount of healthy grass. There's so much healthy grass that weed can't actually grow. Did you know that? The same thing happens in the church. The way to prevent heretical teaching is that you have a body of people who are healthy followers of Jesus, who are in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing, and when heretical teaching shows up, we say, nope, not that one. That's not okay. That's why the church has, has had 2,000 years of unbroken teaching that we still hold to the faith of the early church fathers because the body of Christ is where we, uh, where we do that, where we prevent false teaching. One of the reasons to be a part 
of the church, of a healthy community of the church of Jesus Christ is to prevent yourself from growing into false teaching. All of the most prominent heresies in church history sprouted when people did theology on their own. It sprouted outside of a community of faith. It was one guy's idea, one lady's idea about what could or might be true. And yet it's the body of Christ that makes us resistant to that. So when you find a teacher or a prophet who refuses to subject themselves to the scrutiny of the church, you can be sure it's not the Holy Spirit that is speaking. Right? We like this idea of traveling and itinerant preachers. I personally hate it. Do you know why I hate it? Because a lot of times itinerant preachers, itinerant ministers are not accountable to anyone. They're self-employed, they're hired to go be in a body, to say the things they want to say, and nobody says, that's not okay. There's not enough context in order to discern the spirit that's speaking. People reach out to me all the time. Can I come speak in your church? It's like, no. I don't know you. And nobody I know knows you. Before I take anyone seriously as a teacher or prophetic voice, what I want to know is this. What local church are you committed to? What local church are you committed to? What body of Christ are you known by, do you know the people of, and are held accountable by? Who holds your teaching to some sort of account? Who holds your prophecy to some sort of account? Where are the stakes? Because, friends, the hope of the, of the Christian faith going forward has always been pinned on the church. God has no alternative plan. He's not like, well, if the church doesn't pan out, I'll make it work with itinerant preachers. You know, That'll, That's the way, if the church doesn't work out. No, we, this thing that we do is the hope of the future, that we hold the faith of Jesus Christ into the future. Do you know that? And it turns out the body of Christ is where we can discern, where we have the context to discern the Spirit, and it's also where we have the context to hold people accountable for the teaching and the things that they say. Listen, I'm all for prophecy. I'm all for the revealed Word of God and, and the spoken Word of God and the written Word of God. I'm all for all of the expressions of this stuff. And yet there's a specific way that God desires it to work. The way that we can tell whether it's the Holy Spirit or another spirit, is those two things. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.